mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey guys, it's, is that too loud? You sound it's great. Candace <laughs> and Kayla. And we are directionally challenged. We're coming in hot, thinking that we'd have everything figured out by the time we're in our 30s. <laughs> and surprise, we don't. <laughs> Not even this intro. I mean, after so many years, you think we would. <laughs> but nope. We have a really great episode today that we've been excited about, a little apprehensive about, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit nervous about. Uh, we're going to talk about alcohol today. <sighs> I know. So we're sitting down with Ruby Warrington and she is the voice behind the term sober curious. She's an author of the 2019 book of the same title and she spearheaded this global movement um, to reevaluate our relationship with alcohol. And that's a scary thing for me. I mean, I was even having a glass of wine as I was reading her book about being sober curious. And um, there is so much to unpack and everyone has a different relationship with alcohol. Um, 
I know for me, I'm a brand new mama. And to unwind every night, I like to have a glass of wine. And it's kind of like me time. And she even addressed that specifically in her book. I felt like she could see through those pages looking right at me. And, um, you know, it's something that has been a huge part of my life for a really long time. I was even at an event this past week with Candace. I arrived early. And um, I remember on my way there thinking, you know, it's during the day. This is still a work day. I've got a lot to get done afterwards. I want to make sure I don't drink. Um, and then I found myself there early and I didn't know anyone there. And the first thing I did out of routine and nervousness really was walk straight to the bar and get a glass of wine. And I was like, what am I doing? Even as I was sit- standing there by myself, taking a sip, I knew I didn't want to do it. And, and I thought, wow, this is so fascinating. It really was kind of a clutch and a mask because I was nervous in this big environment. Um, and it's hard when you don't know anyone. You feel like you want to do something. And that was the thing I chose to do. I'd had a friend in town a few weeks ago and we were having a girls night, her and I. And that usually would revolve around wine. And I, there was some things that were troubling me and I just was feeling, I'd had a day where I was feeling really sad. And instead of wanting to talk about that, I just was like, well, let's have wine and let's talk about you. And it's like the more wine that was poured, the more like comments from myself coming out that just the way that I was talking to my friend didn't feel as genuine as it could have been Mm. sitting down and being able to say, you know what, I'm feeling really sad today and really frustrated about X, Y, or Z. Instead, I just figured like, nope, let's like throw a bottle of wine in there and we'll just chit chat. And then that'll be our connection. And then in reality, I found myself the next day, first of all, feeling crummy because all of a sudden when you're in your thirties, like apparently your body just hates alcohol and punishes you for it for days on end. Um, But I also found myself just like replaying the things I was saying and the pitch at which I was talking and just none of it felt genuine. And I was so sad because I had this chance to connect with a friend I don't get to see very often. And I just wasn't able to be my genuine self. And I even sent her a message later on just saying like, hey, thank you for giving me that space. And even if I didn't take it to really be able to talk about what I was really going through that day, like thanks for being a good friend and anyway, and just being there. But it made me start thinking about like how often in social social situations, especially as women in our, in our 30s, that we in generally could use alcohol to put a Band-Aid over something or cover something up. It's definitely a crutch. Yeah. In a social situation, in a relationship, in... Um, Even just time by yourself yeah. where you may not want to um, address what's really going on. You know, Ruby talks about how booze is an anesthetic. And she says, if you dark... If you numb the dark, you also numb the light. And it's so true. I mean, it's one of those things where like we we focus on, you know, maybe it masking, you know, what the tough times we're going through, but we may not realize it also might mask who we really are and like what's really genuine and great about us too. I feel like in your 20s, you, you're drinking because it's like fun and it's new and it's like, this is my life. I'm an adult. I can legally do this now. And after a while, especially, you know, for those in your 30s, whether you have a really time consuming job, whether you are going through some life stuff 
that are is more serious now, whether like health issues or, you know, dealing with parents or dealing with then relationships, or if you're starting to have kids, you know, you know, or you've got like a house and a mortgage and all of a sudden these life pressures start kind or of even building. if you don't have a house and a mortgage, you're stressed because of that. Like there's yes. so many, the, the issues at hand are just much more significant. Yes. So you're not necessarily then like, you know, heading to happy hour just to like blow off some steam. You're heading to happy hour to truly blow off some steam. And then you're never really getting to the root of what might be making you stressed out to begin with or feel low or feel sad or any of those like other emotions other than celebratory. And what's interesting about Ruby is once she started to ask these questions, she realized how many people joined her in this. And we all felt kind of the same way. And I say we, you know, I didn't know her at that point, but it's definitely something the same questions have run through my head as well. Another thing that comes up is, you know, oh my gosh, if I stop drinking and if I say that I don't want to drink with my girlfriends or out or on a vacation, does that mean that like I have a problem? That's something Ruby talks about a lot of this idea (laughs) that, wait a second, if I say I don't want any alcohol, it must mean that I have a problem. So then I should be able to drink as much as I want. And that means that I don't have a problem when there should be a comfortable place within the middle. You should be able to sit there and ask, you know, would my life be better without alcohol? Or why am I having this drink? And what is the intention of it? And is there are there other things I need to maybe deal with before I have this drink? Is is, am I just drinking to escape like a, a dark, a darker thing that I'm holding on to? Or am I drinking to enjoy this present moment? And this is, you know, with good intentions. And in this world, it's really hard to be able to have that conversation. And I think it's important to kind of be able to ask ourselves that question and figure out what that number is for us because everyone's different too. And so just kind of going on that exploration within ourselves it is is a hard thing to do, but I think it's important to kind of know what we feel comfortable doing. And thinking. having permission to ask that question. Yes. And Within our, giving ourselves giving permission. Giving our p- permission to ask that question. And we also want to reiterate um, that Ruby is not a doctor. She has not studied medicine. She's a journalist. And so she studied and sat with a lot of doctors for this book. She studied with psychologists. She studied with people who have worked within the AA program. So she has met with a lot of people, but she herself is not a doctor. She's just sharing her journey with us. Um, You guys, our conversation with Ruby is really fascinating. So without further ado, here we are with Ruby Warrington. Okay, we are here with Ruby Warrington. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. We both uh, have to admit that while reading your book, we both maybe have wanted a glass of wine. Is that, have, have you heard that? <laughs> have you heard that from a lot of readers? Yeah. I, well, I don't know. Not that specifically, but like, by all means, have a glass of wine while reading the book. If anything, it's like, okay, this, this is a great opportunity now to really apply some of the questions in the book. Like, how does this really make me feel? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like I want to pick this up right now? What could I be doing instead of this wine to relax or whatever it is? So I don't know. It's, um, yeah, like, why not? <laughs> I, I definitely started with a glass of wine. And then as I'm continuing to read went, mm. every time I picked it up, I was thinking like, do I want to do this? Do I not? And um, my mentality has changed in my relationship with alcohol after reading Sober Curious. Um, oh, so you you first started out, you came to, um, you lived in New York and you were kind of this 
it girl around town, right? Going to all the cool <laughs> parties and reporting on what happened that week. And um, what was your relationship with alcohol at that point? Yeah, I was probably more of an it girl in the UK. Once I came to New York, it was a bit like back at the bottom of the rung of the ladder in terms of my media career. But still, I was reporting a lot on like what was happening here for for, for magazines in the UK. So that was still definitely my lifestyle. A lot of socializing, a lot of events, a lot of just to backtrack, I was kind of in, in journalism, lifestyle journalism. So yeah, just part of that lifestyle was pretty much drinking most nights of the week, you know, whether it was free drinks at a launch, whether it was a dinner I was going to with clients, whatever it was. And then my social life was very much revolved around alcohol as well. So even though I wouldn't have thought about my drinking as problematic in terms of what we think of as problem drinking or alcoholic drinking, I was certainly drinking the majority of nights during the week. Um, I wasn't getting drunk every night, but it was just this kind of always ever present substance and social lubricant in a way. And so, yeah, I describe myself now as a heavy, a moderate to heavy social drinker. You know, it was always, I wouldn't ever drink alone. It was always to do with socializing. It was just part and parcel of that lifestyle. And given that my, my work life involved a lot of socializing, it was very much part of my career as well. And at this time, how old were you? I was um, my middle 30s, I suppose. The time that I began really questioning my drinking and actually getting what I then came to term sober curious, which is all of that stuff we just touched on, like, well, how is this really making me feel? Like, what's the actual impact on this couple of glasses of wine I'm having? Um, I was probably around 34 at the time. Um, so yeah, this is a time that typically people will find themselves beginning to question. And I think there are a few reasons for that. Partly like our bodies physically are less able to process the alcohol out of our system as quickly and efficiently. But I think it's also a time in life when we really start thinking about what our bigger goals are. Maybe there are more responsibilities for us at work. Maybe we're thinking, about starting a family or settling down or I don't know there are just sort of bigger lifestyle questions that come up at around that point that sort of mid-30s point that naturally kind of shine a light on how we're drinking particularly if as many of us you know I weirdly didn't drink in college until right at the end of college but it's because I was in this very abusive and controlling relationship well, he basically banned me from drinking. That's a whole other story. There's some of it in the book. <laughs> but then when I came out of college, it was almost like an act of rebellion to him because I broke up with him at the same time and really dove into the drinking culture. And so like most 20-somethings, I drank quite a lot and binge drank quite a lot. And then that slowed down, I guess, throughout my 30s. But yeah, it really got to a point sort of mid-30s where I was like, what am I doing with my life? And what role does this substance and also this person this persona that I kind of adopt when I'm drinking like who is she really and does she is she who I want to be for the rest of my life you know mm -hmm. I like how you discuss in the book early on about how all of a sudden you had this realization uh that you were carrying a lot of anxiety around that you were waking up on Monday begrudgingly and is it just like this kind of like constant like mini hangover because it's true when you're in your 20s and drinking you like pop a few Tylenol and you're like this was awesome let's do it again and then all of a sudden you hit your 30s and you're like god this is day three of like <laughs> post bachelor wine night hangover and how did yeah. just some like glasses of wine with my friends completely derail my week is this something right. that you came up with like sober curious overnight or was it over time? Was it an aha yeah. moment? 
it was kind of a oh it was a slow coming to realization as to like okay yeah I'm feeling a lot of anxiety why is this I've got a really great relationship I'm in a job that I worked really hard for and I really enjoy albeit it was a very high pressure job I had quite a high profile job on a magazine in the UK at the time um but why am I feeling this anxiety all the time it just seems like my constant the constant background noise in my life is anxiety and just a feeling of dis-ease you know like a feeling of not being at ease in my life like not really being able to trust myself to and the decisions that I was making trust myself to be able to perform at the level that I wanted to and it took a while it took a while and I can't remember like the specifics because it was a while ago now but it slowly sort of became more and more obvious to me that actually drink my drinking and even if it was just like two glasses of wine at an event was having a huge impact on my overall sense of well-being. And so that's when I really started questioning, what would would I still be feeling this way if I didn't drink? Oh, what would it be like not to drink? And oh, wow, then that's it almost immediately come in the big questions like what would happen to my social life? What would other people think of me? Like how would I would I even be able to quit drinking? And if I um having difficulties with that does it mean i am addicted to alcohol does that mean i'm an alcoholic should i be an aa oh my god and like all of these questions mm-hmm. then start flooding in which are all threaded throughout the book um but there was one weekend specifically i got sent to um cover this yoga retreat in ibiza of all places <laughs> you'll listen as, as a familiar party central of europe. <laughs> but literally party central of europe and i used to go a couple of times a year with my girlfriends i even edited a magazine out there one summer like i did a whole summer out there. Um, but I went on this yoga retreat in Ibiza and it was the first weekend that I hadn't had any alcohol probably for about 15 years. And the way that I felt on that Monday morning going into work after that was just night and day. And there was no longer any more ignoring the fact that actually, yeah, the fact I was thinking a couple of bottle, bottles of wine at the weekend was having a huge, huge impact on how I was feeling about myself, about my life, about my career, about everything really. So then what you decide, okay, I'm going to kind of explore this sober, curious realm. And then you know, you go to your first girls night with your girls and then you say, oh, I'm not going to drink. And that's that weird feeling I think that we all fear is, you know, is everyone going to think, A, I'm pregnant or that, you know, I'm boring now or there's so much that goes along with that. Um, what was your initial experience like? It, yeah, it's so, it's awkward. Like there's no <laughs> two ways around that. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> I think you say in your book that you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Basically. And then it becomes quite interesting and quite a cool challenge. But those first times, I call them sober first. Like the big ones are like the first sober wedding or the first sober bachelorette, which are times when we're really like so ingrained into thinking drinking is what we do and not only drinking, but drinking to excess. Um, So yeah, it's just a question of really getting clear with myself, like why I wanted to do this. And really placing my own curiosity, honestly, like my own, I was like, the only way I'm going to work out what it's like to live as a non-drinker is to not drink. Like I can't continue (laughs) drinking and keep up expecting to get that question answered. It sounds so obvious, you're laughing, but it's true though, right? You can't know until you don't do it. And so I just was like, I need to know how it feels. And so I forced myself into those scenarios. I think probably... I think probably at first there was a bit of, aren't you drinking? That's strange. But 
funnel, I mean, in a way, it's quite good. It coincided with me moving to New York, and I found myself socializing with a lot of different people anyway. When I initially moved to New York, I got set up on a lot of friend dates with other expats, other Brits, and that's a very, very hard-drinking crowd, the Brits in New York. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same in L.A., but um, it was definitely still very hedonistic. But then on the side, all the new people I was meeting – I was finding had many different interests. I was reporting more and more in the kind of wellness space. So I was going to a lot more wellness themed events, be that launches, but also be it like sound baths or yoga workshops or whatever it was. And alcohol just wasn't on the table. And through interacting with people at those kinds of events and making new connections in that space, I realized that, oh, there's actually a whole other world out here that doesn't revolve around alcohol and people who actually are interested in connecting in different ways and finding other ways to connect with each other. And so that was really helpful um, in terms of beginning to step away from it more and more because I didn't like often people will say to me, how long have you been sober or how long have you not drunk? And I'm like, well, I don't really have, I don't really have a day. I don't count days. It's not like I have a sober anniversary or anything like that. It just was a slow undoing of those patterns that have become very, very ingrained over the years and literally just kind of like, okay, tonight I'm not. And then maybe I would. And then tonight I'm not, and tonight I'm not, and then next week I'm not. And then three weeks go by, and I'm like, okay, maybe tonight I'll try some. And and just really kind of like inching my way in and out until I've got to a place now where I just never even think about alcohol. It's just not even a consideration, you know? But in, just to be clear, there are obviously people in the world who struggle with addiction. And this is not what you're talking about. There are people who it's a completely different. And you talk a lot about it in your book that you did not necessarily, um, you didn't find yourself to be an addict, even though you questioned it, you separated that and decided that you were addicted to alcohol and you had an addictive behavior to alcohol specifically. Exactly. And the language, it's very interesting. I actually did a podcast that's going to be on my podcast series, Sober Curious, soon with an alcohol, like an addiction expert, because I really wanted to get clear. I was like, when is it addiction? When is it alcoholism? When is it dependency? And he didn't even have an answer. Those terms are so kind of like wishy-washy. And I think that just speaks to the fact that actually, this is a spectrum we're talking about of like, thousands of shades of gray. And most people who drink will fall somewhere on that spectrum. But the path that I'm speaking about and this sober curious approach is not for someone who is at the very kind of like deeply addicted end of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Because when there is more of a physical dependency, I mean, if someone's drinking every day, I didn't know this, alcohol is the only substance where you can actually die from withdrawal. Like the withdrawal is so harsh from hardcore physical addiction to alcohol, you can die. But Amy Winehouse was a case in point, right, of that. Even heroin, you won't die from the withdrawal. It'll be horrendous and painful and difficult, but you're not going to die. So, yeah, it's. Um, I, I acknowledge that I was a little bit addicted to alcohol, but that I was much more down the other end of the spectrum, right? And a lot of the work that you did at that time was, um, I love how you discuss that the idea of using alcohol to maybe cover up 
bouts of unhappiness in your own life. Like that, you know, that someone could be miserable at their job from Monday to Friday and be like, oh, if I can just make it to happy hour on Friday, then I can relax finally. And if you take away that happy hour and just make it, you know, well, now it's Friday and I have to process my unhappiness from the week, (laughs) then maybe that's when the real work starts. And that's, it sounds like that taking away alcohol at that time allowed you to work on some of the parts of pain from your past relationship that you briefly discussed and some other traumas of uh, your years before. And um, could you maybe expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, the analogy that you um, mentioned is a really powerful one. The idea of like, if we have this, we have this kind of get out of jail free card of alcohol. So the whenever anything gets too painful or it gets too challenging and a, a, cra- a job that we really hate is something that a lot of people can identify with, you have that Friday to forget about it, that weekend to forget about it, then you only ever have to do five days in that job. But that can be applied to so many different things. And I think that, yeah, for example, when I first really decided to cut back, my best friend was kind of like, but why? You don't you don't have a problem. You're not drinking because you're unhappy. You're not, you know, you're only ever drinking to have more fun. And it really felt like that. But it was only when I started removing it that I began to realize there were parts of my psyche, there were wounds in my psyche and in myself that I just hadn't ever looked at because I had always had that get out of jail free card of alcohol. Like if I was ever feeling, yeah, just kind of low or miserable or down or, um, you know, like, I didn't want to connect with people or I wanted to isolate myself or any of those things. It's almost like I didn't ever give myself the time and space to investigate the root cause of those feelings. It was just like, I'll just have a drink and it'll be fine. And it kind of was until it wasn't. And when I look back now and I think about the anxiety that I was experiencing when I first got sober curious, I think that those, those deeper wounds were really demanding to be looked at. I think that's what was really going on. This deep set or this kind of like underlying sense of like something's not quite right in my life that was causing this kind of anxiety was actually linked to, yeah, you never really got over your eating disorder. You might be like fine with food now, but you never really investigated like what were the deep causes. And that was, a, you know, I, I was anorexic the whole time I was with that guy that I mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Makes so much sense to me now. He was, like I said, extremely abusive. And I think I just like cut myself off from the world. But I, I used alcohol as a way to just kind of like get over that really quickly and launch this like you know, launch myself into this fabulous new life, which was a lot of fun. And it was very glamorous, particularly in terms of my job. Meanwhile, I'd never given myself any time to look at the deeper wounds that had been inflicted on me by that relationship. And then even thinking about, well, going back further, what, why at age 16 was I so ready to just kind of like submit myself to this relationship and let this guy sweep into my life and just kind of like completely take over, you know, what was going on there? Oh, well, I hadn't ever looked at the impact of my parents' divorce. You know, it's just all these Mm -hmm. small, they say small, they're small T traumas in a way, considering the things that people experience, right? but they build up in all of us. They're sitting, living in our bodies, creating feelings of discomfort, sadness, grief, anger. Those are feelings that we've been taught it's not okay to feel. And so when we feel those things, well, alcohol is just there. It's such a readily available band-aid for all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And the longer you don't look at those things, the more they will just try and get your attention. Mm. And I think anxiety, for anyone who's experiencing a lot of anxiety and you don't know where it's coming from, 
it's as uncomfortable as it is, sit with the anxiety and ask it, what's really going on here? This is the point to get a therapist, maybe, you know, if you if you need additional help with that. But um, we're so quick to just medicate those uncomfortable feelings away when ultimately getting down into them deeper is actually how we really begin to heal. So you decide to take that Band-Aid off and kind of do some investigating. Yeah. And then <laughs> you, um, in 2016, start Club Soda which is yes. the most fantastic name, by the way. And SOTA stands for uh, Sober or Debating Abstinence. And yes. um, can you expand on that for us and talk to us about that experience? Yeah, well, I guess I got to a point with my path where I was experiencing so many benefits from not drinking and having so many like mind-blowing realizations about what was going on and why I could see so I could see so many people using alcohol this way and not questioning it and I just got I started to suspect that a lot more people than would ever feel comfortable talking about it were also silently maybe even subconsciously questioning the same asking the same kinds of questions right why do I keep doing this even when it feels like crap are the hangovers really worth it for the highs like why does everyone expect me to drink why is it weird if I don't and so I began to speak to a few friends about it obviously the people close to me knew what had been going on but just a few people in my wider circle and the response was overwhelmingly like yeah why don't we ever talk about this this is crazy <laughs> and so I decided to start hosting events around this subject and having different speakers come and speak about their experiences of either not drinking or drinking or whatever it was but not necessarily people who identified as being alcoholics because I felt like outside of AA there just wasn't this conversation wasn't happening and yet I felt like there are a lot of people who were yeah had a conflicted relationship with alcohol should we say so I hosted those events with a meditation teacher called Biet Simkin who um, actually does have a 12-step background because equally I was really nervous about speaking about something in this more open-minded sort of gray area way and I was really worried about endangering people's recovery you like even suggesting that for anyone who was questioning their drinking you didn't automatically have to go to AA I thought that could be potentially dangerous so I invited Biet to host the events with me because I knew she had that background mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure that what we did was okay mm -hmm. um and yeah we hosted those events for about three years and we had like 200 people come Wow. So, and they were, they became this really big production. And in a way it was like the, the fact they became successful is in a way why I stopped doing them because I'm a writer, right? <laughs> I don't really, I don't want to be an event producer and it just became a huge amount of work. Um, so I'm not hosting them anymore. And there is actually another organization called Club Soda in the UK um, who have a whole kind of like big Facebook network and have lots of people hosting their own little meetups and things. But yeah, doing the events helped me feel so validated, I guess, that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't the only quote unquote normal drinker who also felt like drinking was a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. It just made me really realize, I think, that there's actually no such thing as normal drinking, that because we're all so different in terms of our biology, in terms of our backgrounds, in terms of our beliefs, in terms of the stresses that we're facing in our lives, we all have a different relationship to alcohol. I don't think there's any such thing as a one-size-fits-all. Um, so yeah, it was a really great um, way of 
noticing, oh, yeah, okay, there's a lot of people that do want to talk about this. A lot of people are thinking about this. Mm -hmm. Is there a moment that stands out from those early years of bringing these also predominantly women at the beginning um, Mm -hmm. together that made you go, okay, yes, this I am not alone and other people are feeling this or a story or a connection that you made where it really pushed you to know that like, okay, this is a a conversation that needs to keep going that will eventually build to a 200 person meetup. Yeah, right. Um, well, in Mind, Body, Green and Well and Good, which are two sort of wellness online magazines, both for their trend report for 2017 listed the events and Sober Curious as like key wellness trends for this year. And I was a bit like, oh, okay, this is definitely something that people are interested in. Um, I don't think there was anything specific at any of the events, just the fact that so many people showed up, even from the first one, we had like 120 people. And then it kind of went up to just over 200 over the three years. Um, Yeah, just the fact that so many people seemed open to it. I remember like, even doing my intro talk on the first one, I I was so shaky and nervous because I was like, this is so weird. Why do I think anyone's going to care about this? <laughs> but then after, just even after that first one, so many people coming up to me and wanting to like individually just express their, share their experience with me. And, um, I guess thank me for, whoa, finally talking about this, you know? So yeah, from the first event, I knew that this was something that was, that people were ready to talk about. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. back. One of the things that I think might hold someone back from going on this journey and being sober curious is the idea of, you know, dating without booze or, you know, moving to a new city, getting, finding new friends without booze. What advice do you have for someone that is intrigued by this, but may be stopped from life events? Yeah, it's it's interesting. The dating piece is the one that comes up the most. It's like the hardest situation for people. And it's tough because like I've been with my husband for 22 years, you guys. <laughs> yeah, but we don't, we, you know, but even then, like us going, going on date nights with him sober, having always drunk together was a big, like, it was really new for us. And actually, us both, he's now completely quit drinking. So us removing alcohol from our existing relationship was really challenging. And I had a lot of fear around that. I was like, are we still going to have anything to talk about? Will we have any fun together? Are we going to laugh together? Um, Will I still think he's sexy? Like all those things, you know? (laughs) But I mean, luckily, I'm here to tell the tale that in fact, our relationship is, if anything, 
even deeper and there's even more intimacy between this than there was before, unbelievably, you know, because I think that what I realized was that even in, even within such a long-term committed relationship, there were still parts of myself I hadn't shown him. There were still parts of myself I felt too shy or shameful or vulnerable about um, that I'd always just glossed over with alcohol. But not having it there, like if there was ever anything up with me, it's almost like you become so heightened to each other's emotional state that there's just no hiding anything. And that I think is a real, you know, if you can, if you can be really vulnerable with each other and really accepting of each other, then you've got the foundations for an incredible bond in terms of a relationship. But in terms of the dating piece, this is something I've had to kind of outsource in terms of asking other people, friends who've got sober curious. I mean, a lot of people will turn up to a date a little bit early, order their drink first before the person gets there. So they don't have that awkward moment. You can just order something that looks like a cocktail or looks like a whatever, and just kind of gloss over. I'll have the same again, whatever it is, let the bar person know I'm not drinking, just give give me the same again, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't want it to be a conversation, I believe, and I'm not sure if this is true. I think Bumble might now actually have a checkbox where you can put whether you drink or not, which I think is pretty cool. And then the other thing, you know, it depends what you're looking for in terms of dating. If you're looking to meet someone you might have a relationship with, Biet said this at one of our events, actually. She was like, you wouldn't show up to a job interview drunk. Like, you really wouldn't be showing (laughs) your best self. (laughs) And it's that same kind of thing, which maybe sounds a little bit kind of, I don't know, boring is the right word, but. Well, the fear is that it will sound boring or that you will be boring. boring. Exactly. But like, and I think that's one of the biggest fears. And I talk about it in the book. Is my life going to be really boring? Am I just going to be really boring? Mm-hmm. The thing is, when you have a connection with someone where there's a spark, it's the opposite of boring. And you don't need mm-hmm. alcohol, right? You know it when you meet a friend like you guys. I bet you have so much fun together. You don't need alcohol. You just know there's a connection. There's a spark. You can laugh your heads off. You can dance around the kitchen. You don't need alcohol, right? When there's a real connection. So true. And I think... We're all so, we all want connections so, so badly. We're willing to fake so much to make it seem like there's a connection. But ultimately, if you do that, you're only, you're only prolonging the agony of like it not working out, you know, and maybe it sounds a bit heartless to be like, no, not into you after five minutes, but you probably know. (laughs) Well, it's just like reality TV. Like I'm like not to bring it back to the bachelor or like any other reality TV because I love reality TV, but usually someone gets super sloppy because they've had too much to drink. Like, I like how you mentioned in your book that we assume that a drink makes you sexier. And then like as a woman, like the more you drink, the sexier you look and you feel. That is not the truth. You know that mascara starts going crazy. The liner starts melting. Not God to mention, forbid like how, if you're wearing lipstick. Yeah, you need how like I'm always so shiny in every photo if I'm drinking. No thanks. Stumbling in heels. Like no one, like the only reason people look sexy in the movies is because they're not actually drinking and also so true like everyone ends up fighting like the second you put like alcohol in a relate I feel like so many couples like at a certain point especially when you've been married a long time Mm -hmm. or together a long time or together a short time it's usually like oh my gosh we got too drunk last night and we just fought about something stupid and then we had to like apologize profusely this morning while we both felt like crap And it doesn't bring anyone closer together. No, because ultimately sometimes if you like, if you have, if you're thinking about negotiate or navigating like a conflict that you're having with your partner, it's actually a real skill. We're not taught in school 
how to do kind of like effective and rational like conflict resolution, which basically means being vulnerable, saying to someone without blaming them for it or putting it on them or making it their fault. I feel like this, this is going on for me as the other person actually listening to that, take it on board, not t- feeling like you're being blamed or that it's your fault and just res- and having a rational conversation. Like we, it's really hard to do that when you're drunk mm-hmm. because you can only see like the teeny tiny kind of window in front of you or whatever it is, the surface thing that kind of made a reaction rather than being able to see like the whole situation. So yeah, it's just not conducive to um, forming deep bonds. And I think I really, I was, I was worried that you mentioned the moving to a different city. Obviously I shared that I moved to my own sober curiosity really kicked up a gear when I moved to New York. And on the one hand, I was like probably drinking even more with the new people, new English people I was meeting. I don't want to sound like all English people are, are out. <laughs> but <laughs> heavy drinkers, but it was just my truth in that scenario. But then meeting a lot of other people who just weren't really drinkers at all. I actually did a podcast interview with Lee from America, and she was talking about a similar experience when she moved to LA from New York she did it. She wasn't drinking and didn't want to drink and said she was very intimidated going to events, trying to meet people when there was a lot of alcohol as a non-drinker. But the more she started going to things that she was really interested in that where alcohol wasn't on the table, more sort of wellness themed activities, for example, she would meet people out of the alcohol drinking context and actually form connections with people that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. You know, one of the things about this sober curious movement taking off in the way that it has. I think we're just going to see over the coming years more and more and more alcohol-free socializing options where it's explicitly a non-drinking event. So you know if you're going to go to that, you're going to meet other people who are on the same page. Yeah. I mean, you also discuss euphoric, uh, what's it called? Euphoric recall in your book, which I think is a real thing that we should remember is that when we recall events where we, where alcohol was used, that it seems like it was so much more fun than it actually was. And I know that that many times happened to me in high school and college and in, in my thirties that you always recall the event being so much more fun than it was. And if you go sober, you can remember everything that happened. You know, (laughs) I went sober to one of my friend's bachelorette parties and it was one of the most fun times I had because I can remember it. You know, I mean, I was pregnant at the time. Right. Um, Yes. Similar. I'd had the same experience on my first sober bachelorette. I was so nervous and just felt like I was going to be such an outsider. But luckily it was the same friend I mentioned earlier. And she was just one of these people. As soon as we all met up, she was like, Hey everyone, Ruby's not drinking. Just ignore her. It doesn't mean that she doesn't, she's judging us or anything. Just like whatever, just let her get on with it. And there was no atmosphere or vibe at all. It was completely fine. I had so much fun and it made me realize that so much of the euphoric recall was about remembering the connection I'd had with people and just remembering like having fun being with people. And I didn't actually need the alcohol to be there. It just happened to be there because that's what we do, you know? And you, go ahead. Oh, and you speak about now that you um, are sober or, you know, have a few drinks here and there, but aren't living the lifestyle you had before. Um, your experience in life has so many, so, so many rewards. So you sleep deeper, your skin is clearer. You said it it affects your body in so many ways, right? Your mind is clear. What else? So talk to us about what your experience is now. Yeah, the sleep thing is just incredible. I mean, that was, I think, one of the reasons I was feeling so much anxiety or just kind of like disconnect that alcohol was really interfering with my sleep. And I've really realized that 
operating on Apache night's sleep is just not conducive to feeling good about yourself and your life. It has such a huge impact. So now I, I sleep pretty well the, most of the time um, and have much more vivid dreams. And I also have started doing some dream journaling and realizing like how much amazing insight I can get about my life and situations just through what my dreams are telling me. It's kind of amazing, something I'm quite into at the moment. Um, another one that was really surprising to me, my digestion has completely cleared up. I used to have quite bad IBS in my 20s and 30s. I used to think it was just a hangover from my years of having an eating disorder and that perhaps I'd messed up my digestion forever. And I was just kind of like bummed out about that, but like accepting it, I guess. And I tried all the things like I stopped eating dairy, I stopped eating gluten, it would work for maybe a little while, but not really. And it was when I quit drinking that it just completely went away. And I just always have a completely flat stomach, which sounds really like, sounds so basic, but it makes me so happy. It's just so much more comfortable. I feel so much healthier. <laughs> and the biggest thing is just getting past the first drink in a social situation. That's what you kind of mentioned, because a lot of people, yeah, it's exactly Kayla what you were saying it's usually like especially as a woman if you sit down with friends that you're used to drinking with and you don't drink immediately everyone's like you're pregnant and it's like can <laughs> no and especially for any woman that is trying to get pregnant you know yes. we, I know a lot of women who stop drinking way before that time and it's like a sensitive time in general but yeah. if you can just get past the first drink usually people forget pretty quickly Exactly. You know, they really do. I think once everyone's had a couple of drinks themselves, it just becomes less and less obvious that you're not. And this is another reason I really appreciate the fact that even just in the past year or so, we've seen so many alcohol-free options coming onto the market, you know, um, be it sort of like alcohol-free spirits like Seedlip. There's a drink called Kin, which is kind of has a slightly euphoric effect, but doesn't, it doesn't have any alcohol or, and it's not addictive. Um, or even just like much better options than regular sodas, you know. Because there's <laughs> so alcohol everywhere. Drink. It's everywhere. It's even in kombucha. Alcohol. Yes. Alcohol it, is everywhere. On every plane. Even in kombucha. Even yes. in kombucha. <laughs> um, it's so funny. Like in New York, the New York Times did this piece recently about all the big department stores because no one really shops in them anymore because of online shopping. They're all opening bars in their shopping departments. <laughs> and I was like, you're so transparent. Not only are you trying to lure people in with alcohol, you're trying to get them drunk so that they spend money in your store. But it's just, there's beer yoga now. I mean, it's literally everywhere. So yeah, I think this is like, depending on depending on how much you value these connections, right? I do think it's worth speaking to your friends, maybe individually at a time when you're not drinking and just be like, look, this is something I'm trying and I'd really love your support in this. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if someone has a massive problem with that or continues to make you feel bad about it, then I think that it's within your right to question the depth of that connection and whether that's really a friendship that is supporting you and that you want to keep in your life. What, you know? if, what about if someone, okay, say this is for any of our listeners that are like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to tell my friends, I want to take a break from drinking. And then all of a sudden after a few weeks, they all go out. And then this person is like, I'll have a, I'll have a margarita. And then the friend's like, but you said you wouldn't drink or anything like that. How do, how would you, how have you told people how to navigate then the pressures or then all of a sudden the expectations that you've put on yourself or you've had other people all of a sudden put on you and just make it your own personal journey in your relationship again. And this is for anyone who's not um, suffering from like a full on 
addiction or has been an addict or knows that they're within their safe boundaries to kind of go back and forth, I guess. Yeah. I can see why this has been a complicated thing for you to talk it's about. Complicated. And like I said, in the beginning, I almost didn't because I was so nervous of like, oh, how am I going to talk about this? But ultimately, I realized I knew how helpful it had been for me and I could see other people in my life. And so I, I went through with it. And here we are. But anyway, um, I mean, ultimately, it's such an internal thing. I mean, truly, the whole point of being sober curious and actually asking yourself all these questions and really committing to answering them for yourself is so that no matter what situation you're in, you always know that you, are, you can confidently say you're making the right choice for you. If you can't confidently say, I'm choosing this because it's an experiment or because I know it's going to enhance this time with these people and don't have the drink. If there's any shadow of doubt in your mind as to like, eh, I kind of know this because it's going to be, I'm having this because it's really hard not to, or it'll make me uncomfortable not to, then don't have the drink, you know? And so, yeah, it can take time to get to that place. But ultimately this really is a path about about self-knowledge and knowing yourself and knowing your triggers and knowing your weak spots and knowing the nature of this substance. Know that it's one of the five most addictive substances there is. If you are even on the border of thinking you might have more of a, an addiction problem than you're ready to even properly look at, don't just put it down until you can get clear on that, you know? Um, so yeah, my advice, I mean, I'm, I am, I'm very much pro abstinence and the longer the time goes, like I said, like I don't even think about drinking. It's just not even something that's on the table for me now. If I did, if I was to pick up a drink now, there would be a very, very specific reason, but I can't honestly imagine what that reason would be speaking to you right now. Um, so yeah, this is it, my advice to people is like, just really, really know yourself, know your reasons for making this decision and speak and make your choices from that place. And do the work to, if you do have that time yeah. to start thinking with a clear head and removing alcohol from your life, doing the work of like maybe what pains you might've been covering covering up. Um, what other tools I know you mentioned, um, obviously therapy, you mentioned the yoga retreat. Are there other things that you started doing to work on yourself to start understanding some of those little T's or those little traumas that you just Yeah. Discuss? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, meditate, everyone talks about meditation and how beneficial it is, but I think it can be quite misunderstood. <laughs> um, I've been a regular meditator for over five years now. When I say regular, I mean like every day, like without fail every day. And I know that's something a lot of people struggle with because there's no immediate benefit to meditating necessarily. You don't meditate and feel, feel amazing. Like you can take a drink and feel like all your problems have gone away. You don't get that when you meditate, right? So when I talk about like a tool like meditation as a way to navigate not drinking. It's not like meditation is going to give you what you were looking for in alcohol, but what meditation, when it becomes a regular practice, and that's why they call it a practice because you practice it over time, um, will give you is more and more slowly, slowly, and it's slow. And this is, again, something we're so not used to in our instant gratification culture, which alcohol is a part of. But slowly, 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 you begin to develop more and more space between like your thinking mind, which is the mind that's kind of constantly trying to process your problems and therefore constantly reminding you of your problems and therefore constantly making you anxious and nervous and fearful and all the things. And this other self, which is 
just kind of like peaceful, calm awareness. And from that place of peaceful, calm awareness, you can actually only from that place of peaceful, calm awareness, can you start to look at some of the things that are causing you all the agitation in your mind. And that's what a therapist does. A therapist essentially stands for that self which can observe just rationally like what's going on for you and reflect back to you what's going on from you for you. You can sort of become your own inner therapist in a way with a regular meditation practice. But again, it takes time. All of this takes time. It makes me, you know, you have to be so patient. And we're, that's, again, it's something we're so not used to. We have to practice being patient. We have these devices that we walk around with where we can literally get whatever we want, be it a date, <laughs> be it a dress, be it a vacation, be it information, be it whatever it is, like at the tap of a button. And that's just not, our brains are not, don't thrive on that. We thrive on patience, practice, calm, rational thinking, one of the all tips, things that we kind of have to practice. <laughs> yeah. One of the tips I read that really resonated with me is you recommended that when people go out and um, are trying the sober curious thing to order dessert, because half the time the craving that they're feeling isn't for alcohol, that it's for sugar. Because yes. so many alcoholic drinks are filled with sugar and we're used to that certain amount of sugar. And you said order dessert and just sit and savor it. And I thought that that was such a wonderful um, recommendation because that's something easily we can do when we're out that still sounds fun. That's, you know, part of a community. We can share desserts with our friends and that kind of thing. And I haven't seen a, a girls group that doesn't love a dessert. Um, right. And it sounds like something <laughs> that's kind of fun to do that. Um, so most of the time, I think it's important to remember that our cravings may not necessarily be for alcohol itself. It may be for something yeah. else that our body's used to sometimes we need some sleep mm -hmm. like having a 15 20 minute nap can be really good going for a walk sometimes we're just kind of like stuck in our bodies we've got stuck energy so going for a 15 minute walk can move the craving through um yeah the sugar one was so interesting i never had any never had a sweet tooth just never really enjoyed sweet things um but noticed like as soon as i began cutting alcohol out over time that i would just like oh start fantasizing about ice cream <laughs> it was really interesting and i just decided i'm just gonna let myself eat whatever sugary things i want and again like i don't have a particularly i don't think i have a particularly addictive personality um and so i was never eating like tubs of ice cream and i've definitely seen people go that other way like people who are now replacing a bottle of wine with like a pint of ice cream every night, which mm. is obviously not advisable either and not going to make you feel great either. But a lot of that was around kind of just removing any guilt I might have felt about having dessert as well. Again, probably a hangover from those eating disorder years and just being like, actually what I'm craving is pleasure. Mm, yeah. And again, pleasure is something else that we just don't we have so much guilt about wanting to experience pleasure. And I think alcohol is one way we can kind of scratch that itch or like feel like we're having a pleasurable experience when all we're really doing is kind of like numbing down whatever doesn't feel pleasurable, you know? Especially um, as women. That is something yes. we, that I think naturally, inherently women carry a guilt around any sense of pleasure. I mean, we're taught that exactly. if for anyone even that like goes to Bible school as a kid, it's like, well, Eve wanted that apple, you know, that's what she <laughs> gets. With Eve. Yeah. Exactly. It's so true. But if you think about it, even in sex education classes, not once you get a mention of like the female orgasm, it's just off the table. Mm -hmm. This has no biological like necessity. We don't need it. Yeah. Our bodies need to feel pleasure. It's part of our experience. So like you might be craving a massage. Like there are all so many different ways you can think about giving your body an experience of pleasure. Dessert is definitely 
a really good one. You also talk about how sober sex is the best sex. And it's so true because when everything's inhibited by alcohol, we may remember it being great, but then we may also not really remember it or remember parts of it. And when you're sober with an awesome partner, like there's nothing better. Exactly. And on the flip side, when you're sober with someone that you're not really into, it's really obvious. (laughs) so true. (laughs) Whereas you might have been able to just kind of like gloss over and be like, oh yeah, this is cool. It's fine. And then whatever. There's lots of things I do like about you, but maybe not that. Um, But yeah, sober sex. I mean, God, it's funny. Like I said, my husband and I, we've been together for 22 years and even like, for, even though we used to drink a lot together in the beginning, we stopped having drunk sex after about six months because it was just like, no, that's kind of lame. Can't really feel anything like, you know, <laughs> like, no. so yeah, I think that sober sex, but again, like how intimidating that's got to be one of the most intimidating things a human being can do, given the way we've been conditioned. Given the amount of like body shaming that we experience on a daily basis as we are bombarded by like messaging about what our bodies should look like, for example, getting naked with a new human. I mean, that's like, yeah, (laughs) but also, but in terms of how vulnerability can also be what really creates the deepest intimacy and bonds, it can also be incredible, Mm -hmm. but it's about, this is really, you know, you have to be brave to embark on this path as well. Like it takes some guts. (laughs) And you discuss like the natural highs that come with giving yourself the opportunity to feel everything. And you even wrote a list in your book, many lists about all the things that naturally quote unquote, like get you high, whether it's, um, doing a new, taking on a new creative activity. I think you talked about like sewing or like crafting, crafting (laughs) different things. And so I love that, that that's, you come from an encouraging place of write down the things that just bring you joy and lean into those things. Cause you will have so much time and so much energy to be able to do that. Exactly. But then we've got so much kind of like messaging from the outside about like, if I said to you, we're going to do crafting on Friday night. Like if you said, let's do crafting Friday night to your girlfriends that you usually go out for happy hour with. Can you imagine the eye rolls that you would probably get? <laughs> it's like, yes. Huh? We're not going to meet any men and we're not going to get to put on high heels and makeup. And like, you can put on high heels and makeup to do crafting as well, by the way. Like there's no rule that says you have to sit there in like pajamas yeah. with no makeup on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just so much. And that's another thing that I think becomes really interesting when you step out of that drinking culture, you can observe all of these crazy things we tell ourselves about what constitutes fun, what constitutes a good time, what constitutes connection, like what's worthy of wearing an amazing outfit to like all those things. There's just so much conditioning around that. But yeah, there are so many ways. And but for someone, but if you, and, and I speak for myself, when you're so conditioned to all of your quote unquote fun times being around alcohol, it can take a while to remind yourself or to kind of work out what feels like fun to me, which is when I think having, if you're thinking about getting sober curious and taking, even if it's just taking a, an extended break from drinking, I recommend three months, by the way, it's a really good kind of window of time to like around a hundred days is a great window of time to really get a flavor for it. But yeah, at first it can feel like, God, what am I going to do? What is going to feel like fun? And so, and just again, be patient, know that you are not going to have the answer to all these questions overnight, but that putting in the, I don't even want to call it work, but like being curious and allowing yourself to just show up for life in whatever's being presented to you. There's so many rewards on the other side of that. Mm. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Ruby. Thank you for your book. 
and for your podcast. And you're either going to have Sober Curious 2.0 coming out. Yes. This is like the first time I'm announcing it anyway. There's a follow-up book to Sober Curious going to be out in January 2021, which is more of a kind of a how-to, like apply this to your life daily. That's fascinating. And I know so many people will absolutely love that. Um, We're so grateful you joined us today. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Yeah. Although I'm also working on my social media addiction. So I'm there intermittently. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. My my Instagram handle is at Ruby Warrington and I do tend, I try and tend, um, respond to my DMs there and stuff. And I, I post, I have, I have a retreat coming up in upstate New York in October, a sober curious retreat. Like I said, the new book will be out soon too. So Lots yeah, going on. Love it. Well, thank you so much for um, letting us join in on the conversation and explore this, um, possibility with you. And we just loved our conversation. Thanks so much for having me. It was really great to talk with you guys. So Candice, are you going to quit drinking? <laughs> Way to ease in there, Kayla. <laughs> you know what I remember? I remember that um, about a year ago, I think it was last year, last January, you said to me, when I arrived at your house, you said, I'm going to try dryuary. And I looked at you and was like, yeah, good luck with that. And I realized how I was an enabler to you. I didn't support you in saying, hey, you know what? If you want to try that, I support that 100%. And that was selfish on my part because I knew that if you did that, then maybe I would have to try and think about my life and if I should do that as well and how that would affect me because a lot of my social gatherings, you are there. And so we're, we're with each other a lot. And so I knew that that would affect me personally. So if you want to try a dry month, <laughs> I support it. Thank you. No, I do the same thing. I get frustrated when we have a girls night and someone's like not drinking and I'm like, why? Uh, hello, this is what we're supposed to be doing here. Um, so thank you for saying that, but I also totally understand and I do the same thing. And, you know, I feel like this was such an important episode because all of a sudden I started seeing all these advertisements for non-alcoholic events and, um, beers that were non-alcoholic major beer companies making Mm non-alcoholic beers and a lot of, um, you know, cocktails that were non-alcoholic quote-unquote mocktails yeah yeah but that were like true the whole company was based on having you know bitters and various aperitifs that were non-alcoholic but made to taste really great and be able to be used in cocktails and then you know the new york times recently came out with an article in january saying that alcohol deaths have risen sharply particularly among women and you know the reality is, is we are surrounded by it and it becomes such a like day in day out thing. And I think, you know, it's so easy for people to make jokes of like, oh my gosh, you want a wild night out? Just get a bunch of moms together that need to blow off steam. It's true. And they'll drink you under the table. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so many conversations with friends just being like, God, I don't want to feel shitty on Monday morning. Like I don't want to wake up and feel shitty. And so I, it was, I don't, I, I like, that I can start looking at my personal relationship with alcohol, um, you know, pertaining even to uh, totally relating to what you were saying of being at an event or a social situation where am I having this glass of wine because I think I'm uninteresting because I think that no one will want to talk to me or I won't know how to talk with people or this will make me funnier. 
or am I having a glass of wine because you know what? I'm really happy to be here and I I'm heart open, ready to talk with all these people. I am enough. And I just enjoy the taste of rosé and this is nothing to do with my self-worth. And it's separating those things. Um, Really well put because I think that is the first step to us just kind of our relationship with alcohol and knowing the difference between feeling like you need it and then wanting it. And there's that that's it's as simple as that. And that's something I'm going to ask myself before I take a drink. Because there is so much support and it's like we don't have to we it's not necessary it really isn't and, and i think sometimes i feel like it's Wait, what's not necessary just but the idea of uh, for every single hang for every single yeah. girls night for every single friend social event um and it doesn't mean that all of a sudden every event at our house is going to be a dry like barbecue <laughs> by any means and it's not that like even if you want to try you know abstaining from alcohol for a while that you need to pressure everyone around you. But I do like the idea of um, how am I going to feel? How am I going to sleep? How am I physically in my gut going to feel? How, what are the things I'll be able to do on a Saturday morning, you know, getting up with um, the family or even just getting up for myself Mm -hmm. and extra early to go do a hike or go take a class. Um, or and get your list checked off, your to-do list, yeah, which feels so good. Which feels so good. And it doesn't mean that like every Friday night is like a blowout. It's even something as simple as just those couple glasses of wine that is it taking the edge off or is it just masking something that maybe you need to process and journal out or meditate out or go, you know, do a yoga class on Friday night instead or a crafting class? Mm-hmm. Like, does it have to always be centered around you know, alcohol or can alcohol just be the accoutrement that's around the actual event that you're there for, that you're participating in? Yeah, it's a real honest question that we are going to continue to ask ourselves. And if you're listening and you relate, you know, join our our conversation about it because it's, it's an ongoing process. It's not just something you fix overnight. And that's one thing where we really um, pointed out as well. So you guys can find Ruby Warrington. Um, you can find her book, Sober Curious, wherever you buy books, you should buy books cause they're awesome. <laughs> um, and she also obviously has her podcast. You can listen to her expanding on the sober curious movement. Um, yeah, with- her podcast is called sober curious as well. And she'll have a new book coming out in 2021, which we cannot wait to read and participate mm-hmm. in since it sounds like it's more of a workbook. You mm-hmm. guys are awesome. Thank you for joining us today. Can't wait for you to listen to our all new episode of Directionally Challenged next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.